Aloha, and welcome to SUP FM, the podcast for stand-up paddleboarders everywhere. So with no further ado, let's get out on the water and on with the show. Hello and welcome back to the SUP FM podcast. And this week we've got a real treat for you because I got to chat with the legend who is Jordan Wiley. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know that we've probably mentioned him in most episodes since we switched the podcast back on in April 2020. As Jordan admits in this episode, he wasn't the most experienced paddleboarder on the water last year when he first started but he surrounded himself with plenty of expert support and advice in his attempt to do something that hadn't been done before, to paddle the coastline of Great Britain and to set a new world record and, in the process, raise money for the charity he talks about in the episode. And he has almost raised the money he needs, just a little bit further to go. This is an interview that I've really been looking forward to. We tried to get him on before he set off initially on his big trip, but this is even better because we had a great chat about his experiences and his reflections looking back at his massive journey. But before we get to the episode, the days are getting longer in the Northern Hemisphere, and so as we get closer to spring, we're all getting ready to spend a lot more time on the water as things warm up. And now is a great opportunity to brush up on your knowledge so that you can become self-sufficient on the water. We're offering you £10 off the face value of the SUPFM SUP safety course. And not only that, but for every course sold, we'll make a £5 donation to Jordan Wiley's Frontline Children Fundraising to help build that school, which he's been working so hard to raise funding for. So use the code GBPADDLE10 to get your money off the course and you'll be able to increase your safety knowledge and support Jordan in the process. To check out the link to the course, it's in the show notes and this is a limited offer and ends on the 19th of March 2021. So here's the episode everyone, including me, have been waiting for Mr. Jordan Wiley. So, Jordan, welcome to SUP FM. Thank you very much for inviting me on, Simon. Really appreciate it. It's an absolute pleasure. Really delighted to have you on. We followed your exploits, particularly over 2020. So couldn't be more thrilled to have you on. I don't think that anyone hasn't heard of you, certainly in the SUP community, after the 2020 you've had. You spent over 149 days, which is incredible paddling, 2,377 kilometres in the Great British Paddle, which was um, attempt to circumnavigate the British Isles, which unfortunately ended just before Christmas, not far from the northernmost tip of uh, mainland Britain because of uh, a Scottish lockdown. But like most of the SUP community and, and anyone with a pulse, we were all really inspired by the grit and the determination you showed in such an awesome achievement. I mean, it was just incredible. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your kind words. It was, it was, it was an incredible adventure, as you say, and, and it was amazing to have so much support from the, the SUP, the paddleboard in the sort of water 
community. It was it was amazing. I met so many fantastic people along the way. Uh, such an, a humble community, and I was really privileged to to be a part of that. Yeah, well, it was fantastic, and we met for a nanosecond on on a beach down here on the south coast on a particularly hot day with lots of side chop as you were working your way between Portsmouth and I think you ended up in Bournemouth or Poole, I think, on that day. Yeah, I remember that, I remember that day very well as well. I remember I remember seeing you on the beach and, and paddling paddling over to you. I was just talking about that before with my, my girlfriend because uh, she was in the water swimming that day. Yeah, it was, it was a big beach day, lots of families down on the beach. So you'd paddled from Portsmouth. I'm not sh- quite sure how many kilometres that that is it's quite a hefty way though and and I uh, took one for the team by uh, running a mile down the beach in my flip-flops which is a first for me in terms of distance I'll let the listeners decide who's the greatest hero on that particular day but it was great to to meet you and and we've got a bit of a selfie and then followed your exploits around the coast but before we get into that I just want to talk a little bit about your back catalogue about your CV because you've had the most incredible experiences so far in your life you blackpool lad joined the army was it 16 when you went in yeah i joined i joined the army uh, straight from sort of school really yeah 16 it was as you say grew up in blackpool in lancashire uh, very, very proud to be a northerner even though i'm in the south these days but yeah and that's that's i guess where my sort of spirit of adventure really started properly with was in the army and and you know traveling around the world to some some great places and some not so great places but Really, really with the army was probably where I learned a lot of, of, of really important life lessons about, you know, about values and about respect and courage and discipline and, and all those sort of those, those core values that I try to still use today, even having left the army 10 years ago. I, I think values are very important, especially for young people to, you know, to know what you stand for, know what you believe in and, and, and try and sort of hold yourself accountable to those standards on a daily basis. So, so did, did the army give you a real structure and I guess lots of adventure training as well, just to really spark you off? I think so. But, you know, prob- probably like yourself and many, many other listeners, I, I came from a, a generation that was just probably before the social media and this sort of digitization that we see now. So for me, you know, my youth was 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 sort of climbing trees it was camping out it was you know jumping in lakes fishing or and those sort of things that we don't see as much as I'd like to see with the with the sort of generation of today you know we're, we're on screens all the time now it seems and I, I I really try my best to promote that getting in the great outdoors and, and having adventures but you know I, I was also I was probably from the area that I came from I was I got myself into mischief now and again with the law and the police as a youngster I was easily led astray we could we could say and it was it was going in the army that really sorted me out, you know, because with with respect to a lot of the people I grew up with, friends and things, they ended up in you know, d- drugs, crime, prison, and that would have been a very easy route for me to go down. I think if I had not had escaped out of the sort of bubble I was in at the time, and going in the army, you know that you, you don't survive very long if you if you don't sort of, you know sort of switch on and, and have a positive attitude and, and 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 a sort of get things done sort of mentality and. Yeah, the army really helped me grow from, you know, a sort of a cocky teenager, if I'm honest, into, you know, the man I am today, I think, in many respects. And I think I think all your experiences in life, whatever you do, wherever you go, you know, they, they bring you to where you are today. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful to the army and, and still have a lot of connection to the military in terms of charitable sector. And I'm a trustee and patron of, of military museums and, and bits and pieces. So, you know, very proud to be a soldier. Um, I, I served in a regiment called the King's Royal Hussars uh, for a decade. 
Um, I was a junior non-commissioned officer. I served in Northern Ireland and multiple tours of Iraq. Um, and, and, you know, and saw some, some not so nice things as well. Lost some great friends, you know, heroes, in fact. It was, it, it was challenging, but it was, it was what brought me to where I am today, certainly. You're also an ambassador for the Army cadets, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. And and for me, that's if I'm very honest, you know, I'm, I'm very I'm very proud to work with lots of brands, charities, organisations. But for, for me, probably my greatest honour right now today is to be, you know, the UK a, a national ambassador for the Army Cadets. I think it's such an incredibly important organisation in modern society. It's it's one of our nation's best kept secret, and it does so much good in the world. And it's not just the cadets that, that attend these things, but the volunteers that it's the adult volunteers that dedicate their lives to to helping grow and develop and, and sort of nurture young people. I think it's really important because I go back to values again. You know, we we try and sort of hone those those core values of, of courage, selfless commitment, respect, integrity, loyalty, discipline. We try to embed them in young people from an early age because I think if you can understand those and sort of live by them, they can really put you on the, 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 you know, the straight and narrow for, for, for the greater good in life. A lot of people find it very difficult coming out of the military, out of that sort of structured environment and into to civvy street so you've clearly managed that really well and uh, your your experiences since then are, are quite jaw-dropping and you've written about them in a couple of books there's experience of i think it's called running for my life where you ran a marathon in afghanistan iraq and somalia and also rowing dangerously was when you crossed solo and unsupported over what's the most dangerous strait of water on the planet how did you get to to that yeah it was you know it's been a an amazing journey and adventure and i think to be honest it was for me as a soldier you know working in in conflict zones in places like iraq it was you know we saw a lot of, of bad things we saw death we saw destruction and we saw people's lives torn apart and we lost some amazing friends, colleagues, heroes, as I say. But one thing that, that I always found very difficult to process was the the sort of plight of the children in a conflict zone. There's something that, you know, when you see things happening to children and you see children, you know, sort of homeless, lost their families on the streets and sometimes missing limbs, being killed, it's 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 absolutely brutal. And that that for me is something that's never left me. And I always I always said that if I could ever go back to these places as a civilian and try and do some good and help, uh, that I would do. And I've you know, I've dedicated certainly the last five years plus to, to trying to have a positive impact on children's lives in, in war and conflict zones. So, you know, the, the, the adventures that you, that you refer to, they're, they're great and, and, and they're great fun and they're great challenges. But for me, it's not about what I'm doing. Like the paddle, it's about why I'm doing it. You know, for, for me, it's very difficult to fundraise, um, you know, where you want to raise substantial amounts of money. And when you when you get into the hundreds of thousands, the millions, you have to do things that are very challenging. They are different, often a world record or world first level. You have to push the boundaries beyond endurance and and really try to go into a, a new territories, unknown territory quite often from a, a sort of adventure perspective because ultimately you're trying to capture the imagination of the public. You're trying to get them to, to buy into whatever your expedition is so you raise as much money as possible and with the greatest of respect to everybody, you know, a lot of people these days have, have climbed mountains, they've ran marathons, they've jumped out of planes. So they're, they're almost ordinary things to do now. So you have to think outside the box and get creative and innovative and, and come up with these these crazy adventures that 
that really capture the media as well because when you get the media on board you get the sponsors on board when you get the sponsors you get the public and it, it's it's a cycle really and it's been yeah it's something that I've spent a lot of time sort of trying to master over the last three or four years and 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 you know I had a touch wood had a little bit of success at it because um I I've I've sort of come up with these these ideas these adventures give them a bit of identity created a brand and and then and then sort of sold it to the public and and the sponsors and tried to provide as much value as possible and you know if you keep providing value and and excitement and interest then people will keep coming back and we've been very fortunate but but of course I'm I'm just the person who's sort of flying the flag at you know in the media or on the TV or the social media I, there's an incredible team that I try to surround myself with uh, you, you know one thing you learn in life is you don't do anything great alone and that you know you, I I try to find I wouldn't even say the best people in the world. I just find find the people who who share the same values, the same vision, and and are committed and loyal. And you know, I've been very lucky to work with some incredible people, like like on the Great British Paddle, from from cameramen to filmmakers to psychologists, project managers, social media people, PR people. And you know, you you, you find you, you find these people, you surround yourself with them, and you don't let go. And 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 together, you build a team, and you can you can do some incredible things in the world. And you know, and, and I'm very blessed to have met lots of very uh, inspiring and, and, and great friends through, through the spirit of adventure. And there's, there's a lot of crazy people out there and, and they're not always alongside you. You know, they, they, they can support you in different ways. And I think that was the great thing about the, the, the sub community as well. It was it was a real humble community for me. And I, I entered it as a brand new sort of paddleboarder and I was very welcomed. I was taught. I was very fortunate to have lots of incredible sponsors who are world leaders in in, in their field of, of whatever kit they supply. So I I'm, I I never take anything for granted. You know I, I'm very very blessed and fortunate. And I you know and I, I I want to say a big thank you every time I get the opportunity to those. Yeah, well, just to go back on on some of your points, and um, maybe I can ask you to say a couple of things about Frontline Children because that was the charity that you were raising money for during your paddle. But in terms of the team, absolutely, you know, you, you had you had a support boat, and uh, obviously the social media and all, all support back in Andover and so on. You know, some of those characters who you went with ended up having their own sort of media profile. I mean, is it Captain Alex? Is it? Yeah, Captain Alex uh, was uh, the project manager, and you know, did did a great job and. You know, people like James and Alfie, I thought, you know, were incredible at capturing the, for me, you know, the filmmaker, the photographers, they, it was, what was amazing about them particularly was that they were able to take the public on the journey with some magnificent sort of cinematic filmmaking, uh, extreme, you know, environment photography. You know, for me, I could, I, I genuinely couldn't do what they did, you know, for, for, especially, you know, James at the start, he was Cameraman was probably number five in his role. He was he was logistics, he was food, he was he was accommodation, he was sorting so many things out. And then Alfie on the boat, you know, he he would be filming all day and then he would have to sit on a boat when everyone's, you know, being sick and what have you, and he'd have to start editing all his footage, you know. So just an incredible team of people uh, amazing really the images are quite astounding well the ones that stand out to me were when you're crossing the irish sea that sounds like an absolutely monster trip so just in terms of frontline children tell us a little bit about why that charity specifically frontline children so i i'd spent quite a long time fundraising for the last as i say few four or five years or so and you know, it's it, it, it's a very competitive sector, and for me, it was about accountability. So I, I, I'd raised hundreds of thousands for various charities over the years, and 
I was always I always wanted to be able to tell my donors and my sponsors where exactly the money was going. And and when you work with 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 super you know huge charities, it's very difficult to to find exactly what what project they're supporting in what country or or whatever it might be. So I sat down with um, some fellow trustees about three years ago, and I said. I would love to, to to support a charity that that helps children, but but we get to 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 sort of go and see these children and and see the the, the impact that we have with this fundraising. So three of us sat down and we came up with the idea to set up a charity. So I'm one of the trustees of Frontline Children, and we made a decision that no one would get paid, where there would be no salaried staff or or expenses for for the for the people involved in the charity. So it's just a charity of complete volunteers, and the money only goes directly to support children. Uh, you know whether it's building a school, providing educational resources. So, so for me, it was really important that that, that we knew exactly where every penny was going, um, and 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 we there was a tangible output. And and having visited Djibouti with the Rowing Dangerously project on the Horn of Africa, I was just astonished by how many children are on on, on the Horn of Africa who have been displaced by war and conflict. I'm, I'm talking, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of of innocent young children of all ages that. That have lost their families, their homes, their parents. That are—it's uh, it's almost like they fell off the face of the earth. They're just the forgotten children of the world. And I really wanted to to do something. And one thing that I learned in my life is that education is is very powerful, and it, it's one of the few things that can inspire hope and uh, for a better future for for people who, on the face of it, don't really have that much to live for, as it would seem. So, for me, I, I made a promise to. The children in a little village called Asala in Djibouti that I would build a school um, using my fundraising over the next two years, which was obviously two years ago. And, you know, at the time, I probably didn't realize the magnitude of what I was trying to achieve. And I probably, if I'm honest, bit off a bit more than I can chew because it's been extremely stressful. It's been been very hard work. And um, but but we're nearly there. You know, we're in touching distance now. The school will get opened um, in the next three or four months, in the next quarter, certainly. So it's amazing to think that, you know, as I say, coming from Blackpool on a you know a pretty rough council estate, to then being able to go and deliver a full school to 250 kids that that would never have had that opportunity is probably one of the proudest things that I will ever do when we open that school. Um, but it, it's it's been very stressful, that's for sure. But one of the other things is it's only been possible because of the incredible British public and the and the kindness of people who've believed in in the adventures and in in, in the school and the dream of of trying to inspire hope through education. So let's focus in on the journey. And one of the questions that I tend to ask people on here is to share their first experience of, of paddleboarding. When did you first step onto a, a paddleboard, Jordan? Um, I was probably, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe three months before we started. I, I, I My local local river down in Basingstoke, the, the sort of canal, Basingstoke Canal, I'd, I'd been on there a few times with my daughter and and thought, you know, this is is quite therapeutic, you know, paddling down the river on a nice sort of sunny day um, with my daughter sat on the back of the paddleboard. And that that was really my first introduction to paddleboarding. Um, I'd never tried it before. I'd, I didn't know much about it, but, you know, I, I sort of had that little experience. And, and what I found, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about was was the sort of blue therapy, the blue mind, how how sort of tranquil and how peaceful and just being in the outdoors is, is, is you know, great for your mental health. And that's what really attracted me to it, I think. Three months before you set out on your trip, that's that's uh, not a lot of experience. And uh, I know the, uh, the Basingstoke Canal, not too many waves going on there to test your balance, are there? No, not at all. And, you know, I probably, before I set off on the 
on the expedition. I'd probably been on a river about five times maximum, and but I was very fortunate to 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 spend a week with um, you know WSA in South Wales, the, the Water Skills Academy. They I did seven days training on the ocean with them, and you know that was a real culture shock for me. Get, getting out there on the waves, I, I think I spent most of the time in the water that I was doing that training um, with Johnny Cavell and, and Ben and the team down there. Excellent. So, so you had five intense days. So your first day was pretty much in the water. I mean, it is a very different game, isn't it? Paddling on the ocean versus uh, Basingstoke Canal. Oh, incredible! The, the contrast is it's uncomparable. It's it's a world apart from it. It's you know, it's I, I can't even put into words how different it is. It's 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 incredible, really. Um, you know, paddling on the ocean um, without any experience is is so difficult and and very frustrating as well. You know, because you, you you just want to get on with it and get get going. But you know, I I didn't have the experience, the knowledge, and I guess doing the training uh, give me the foundations. It gave me the basics. Um, but I, I think it was quite entertaining as well. I, I'm sure that WSA at the time thought, what, what the hell is this guy trying to do? Yeah, but you do end up feeling it, don't you? You do end up connecting with the water. And talking about Blue Mind, it, it's all about that connection with the water, visually hearing it, but also feeling it. How, how long through the trip before you kind of got that that sense where you could sort of anticipate the, the water's movement a lot better? I think it was probably about a week, about seven days of paddling, you know, every day, 12, 15 hours. I, I think it was about a, w- a week in where I started. Do you know, do you know the, the, the best thing I found you can do is actually relax. And when you're a new paddler, you, you're so tense. You're so, so you, really, you're just trying to hang on for your life. You, you're just trying to stay on the board and you're not really enjoying it. You're not, you're not, you know, and, and the best advice was, that I was probably given was so simple. It was, it was keep your head up and relax, you know, and just mm-hmm. Very simple advice, but but that that's a game changer. The moment you can relax your body, your muscles, and you're not tensed up and stressed, uh, and keeping your head up because you have this sort of because you're trying to stay on the board, you've got your head down, looking forward, yeah. and it's it's I guess it's the mistakes that all the sort of beginners make. It's it's classic stuff, really. But um, just you know, I, as I say, a, a week into it, I started to get into a rhythm and started to feel it. And I guess it depends on the time of year as well, because my first sort of three days, I was crossing the Thames estuary and it was so rough, so choppy. And I, I was kneeling for the first three days. And I can remember thinking that my knees aren't going to be able to stand this much longer. It was so painful. It was excruciating to be kneeling for, for 12 hours because the problem was, is that if you've been kneeling for you know, anyone who's knelt on a paddleboard for 15, 20 minutes, and then you try and stand up, it's, it's quite yeah. difficult anyway, but you know, try doing that for 10 hours and then stand up. It's impossible. My God, yeah, you end up with no blood in your calves, don't no, you? No, no, and it's dangerous as well, you know, from sort of things like deep vein thrombosis and all these crazy things. You know, it can become quite dangerous when you're not letting the blood circulate. And, and in terms of relaxing, it tends to be the feet because you're subconsciously trying to grip the board, particularly beginners. You know, it's uh, no, definitely. You get I cramp in the feet. A lot of cramps in the feet in those first few weeks, definitely. So you were heading sort of out and around the coast and around the coast of Kent and so on. And it wasn't an easy experience, you know, British summertime and all of that sort of stuff, quite a lot of chop. But you also had a bit of an unfortunate experience with with a, a motorised sea-going vehicle, didn't you, which came back and bit you a bit later on? Yeah, you know, it was, yeah, one of the challenges, I think it was, it was a little Hampton or somewhere at the time, I think it was, if I remember rightly. There was, it was, it was a summer day, so you know you get everybody coming down to the beach, um, but unfortunately it brings out um, the, the wrong guns as well sometimes. 
Um, and yeah, there was a couple of drunken jet skiers on this particular occasion. Uh, and I, I'd been warned about them by the lifeguards. You know, people were coming out and paddling with me and they said, you know, sort of just watch as you get further ahead. There's a few sort of um, young young lads who are having a mess around with the music blasting. They've got bottles of beer in the hand and, the, and they're bombing around on jet skis quite dangerously. And I was warned about them. And then th- th- they, they came to sort of, one of them came close to me and tried to sort of skid his jet ski to create some sort of chop and waves that, that, to throw me off. And I told him to slow down. And that was, you know, me sort of engaging with him was his ticket to try and knock me off. And he, he, he was successful and uh, he came very close to my board. And, and I ended up, um, you know, going in the water and hitting a groin in the sea, which was full of barnacles, which which sort of ripped through my my lower sort of shin and Silly for me, I, you know, I, I don't know why, but again, you'd think with my experience from the military and in adventure that I would have known better. But I, for some reason, I, I always thought that seawater, salt water was great for sort of cleaning out the wound. And, and, and it is in many respects, but not not a filthy ocean that's been polluted, you know, and it, it got infected quite quickly. And, you know, I, I, I paid the, the price for that for the coming sort of weeks, the next month or so, in and out of hospital a few times with with um, cellulitis that just wouldn't, I couldn't shake off, unfortunately. but you know, you, you you live and learn, and you take the lessons on board. But um, yeah, it was it, it, it was pretty challenging that, and, and quite disruptive to 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 the expedition at that point. That's right, because because the weather wasn't straightforward there either. I think you made it pretty much into sort of Dorset and Devon, and then you got laid up somewhere. I think there was a, a storm coming in, but um, it must have been spectacular. I mean, what what were your highlights of the the south coast of, of England? Oh, it was amazing the south coast, as you say. We got we got stuck in, if I remember correctly, in Seaton, um, like Devon area, for about eight days. But actually, getting stuck there became a bit of a blessing in disguise. And one of the things that I really learned from working with um, Paula Reed, the adventure psychologist, was how you can reframe negative thoughts into um, neutral or positive ones. And one of the things that I took from that getting stuck for eight days, which was I think it was Storm Francis we had in in the August, we. We, you know, I was stuck there, very frustrated. The clock's still ticking, and I, I've lost a week of my adve- uh, adventure already. And um, I, I remember thinking I'm, I'm really angry and sort of annoyed. But actually, it was that that week I think that actually I got my leg to recover because it stayed dry for a week, and that was the problem. It was just getting wet, and uh, the salt was getting it in it. So it, it became a positive that we got stuck in the end because it allowed me to shake off the sort of injury. But uh, so many highlights on the south coast. I think. You know, paddling certainly Devon and Cornwall's absolutely beautiful, and and some of the challenges as well of the headlands on the south coast, places like you know, Dungeness Point, Selsey Bill, Portland Bill, the Lizard, Lands End. You know, some of those headlands, if you time them wrong, they are they're pretty nasty mm. places and, and and very unforgiving too. You know, that that you have to you know, do your risk assessments on any well well any time you go out on the board really, but going round headlands that are notorious. Um, can, can be really dangerous, but what I liked about the South Coast was that was that I was able to hone my skills on the board um, in the summer. You know, I, the, the weather only got worse from the moment I set off, so the calmest it ever was was on the South Coast of England. And I think that if I'd have started anywhere else in the UK, I probably wouldn't have survived for as long as I did because I didn't have the the experience or the technical ability on the board. But going down the South Coast and and doing those long days of you know twelve, fourteen, sixteen hours. Um, it allowed me to really hone my 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 skills as a paddler, and uh, not that I'm I'm a super great paddler by any means still, but it allowed me to, you know, to re- really find my feet uh, in the expedition, and and also because it was the summer, I think for me the highlight always 
of any adventure is meeting new people. And, and so many lovely people came out to paddle with me, you know, whether it was kayaks, canoes or swimmers. Um, so many people came out, like, you know, like yourself on the South Coast and just to say hello and wish me well. And I really miss that as well. And I, th- I think the South Coast as well, because we never had a support boat there, it was just myself and James. It was a real highlight of the adventure to be to be almost waking up in, in different people's gardens, B&Bs, spare bedrooms, in tents every night. And, and that that was something I really, you know, as much as the support boat was great for certain things, one thing I really missed was the engagement with the public on a, you know, on a sort of interaction level. Yeah, and that was forced on you later on because of the the, the situation that we, we find ourselves in. But even paddling the South Coast, I mean, you're right, it, it gave you a, a decent experience in what was largely decent weather but the way that the the UK works you've got the the south westerlies coming in so basically on any given day you've got the the wind in your face you've got the tides heading round Land's End as well tell us about that little stretch just going round Land's End because that's another really treacherous area to get through yeah it was it was an incredible experience do you know as soon as you get past the lizard uh, you know the uh, Britain's sort of most southerly tip or point um you really start to feel the Atlantic Ocean. You know, it's sort of, you get around the lizard and all of a sudden it's like, you know, welcome to the Atlantic. Uh, and, and you start to see a real change in the pace of of currents and waves and things I found in my experience. And from the lizard to Land's End, um, again, not too much, too, too far, but the, 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 there's such so many sort of undercurrents in that area. And, and, and it's almost like being in a bit of a washing machine when, you, when you're going around there. Um, and I, I, to be honest, at that point, I remember just hanging onto the board for my life as I was going around Land's End. A lot of people had warned me, and I'd spoke to uh, a couple of very experienced paddlers, sort of Team GB, like uh, Ginny Betts and Marie Buchanan, and they'd yeah. said, you know, you you have to time it right because you know you, it's it's so dangerous. And and they told me about some sort of negative experiences that they had in the past and shared some insights. Mm-hmm. So. You know, uh, again, it was always great to speak to, to to paddlers, to local fishermen, to to the RNLI. You know, safety was always our number one priority. It was something that we tried to promote throughout with the kit equipment, with our engagement with uh, Coast Guard Rescue, RNLI, everybody. You know, we, we always did a risk assessment with with Captain Alex. And, um, and and if we thought it was too dangerous, we simply didn't go. But there were times that, that you know, you as you will know better than me and so will the listeners, you can, you can look at the weather forecast all day long and study it, but it can often be a different situation when you're out on the water than what the weatherman said. Um, and that can be frustrating at times, but also it can work to your advantage because there were days when we would say the weatherman says we can't paddle and you'd get out and it'd be, you know, it'd be like a mill pond. It'd be flat as anything. So you've, you've got to be flexible. You've, you've got to sort of be ready to move at any moment in time. But going around, around Land's End was, was amazing because one of our support team, a gentleman called Stu, um, who was sort of a runner uh, on the South Coast, He'd managed to go up, uh, sort of on top of Land's End, where all the tourists were, and he, he'd gathered a big crowd round to watch me go round. So I could hear them all cheering on the radio and things, which was, which was, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was a good sort of because it was such a prominent milestone, you know, to paddle the whole of the south coast of England was, was, was it was really nice actually. And the sponsors, uh, the girls from Angel Call Handling, um, they they were there and they cooked us up a Sunday roast that night, which was amazing. So, um, you know, really great memories. So sort of then rounds the the end of of Cornwall and then and then back and then the route took you up the east coast of Ireland, which obviously required a, a crossing of the Irish Sea. 
How was that? Because from this point in, there's no unforgiving bits of water, but uh, that one particularly has got a bit of a, a bad rap. Yeah, it was, you know, if we, if you look at probably the toughest phase for me, it was probably that in one hit, that first crossing of the Irish Sea was physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, completely exhausting. It, we, we, we had a bit of a breakdown in communication with um, sort of the support team on land and the support team on the boat. And some decisions got got made that, that perhaps weren't the right decisions about when we should go and when we shouldn't. And there was, a, as I say, a slight breakdown, which we took lots of lessons from to improve our communication. But we 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 you know we we paid for 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 a bit of communication lapse and and it took me five days nearly to get across there and it was wow. absolutely brutal, which is incredible because the the irony of it was that when you know two months later or six weeks later whenever it was when we got to cross the Irish Sea again from sort of Bangor Belfast to um, the Mull of Kintyre in Scotland that was one of it was the longest paddle that I did in the whole expedition in one one day it was a 77 kilometer paddle and it was also it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the toughest either because it was it was it was like paddling a different ocean even though in theory you'd think further north closer to the winter it might be worse but it just goes to show that you know you never know what you're going to get sometimes and it was a real contrast from the toughest paddle which took five days to my longest paddle which took 77 kilometers but you know they they, they were very they were almost opposites <laughs> That's incredible. And it just shows how local conditions and local weathers are so specific. And, you know, having those conversations with the RNLI and fishermen and so on, you know, they know their areas far better than anyone. But I bet your uh, weather prediction and uh, conditions predicting skills improved. I mean, obviously, you're relying on Captain Alex. And I guess, I guess you, you relied on your skippers throughout because they've probably had years on the water but uh, I'm sure you learned a thing or two about predictions didn't you? Yeah absolutely you know you, you when you're out at sea you sort of you know when you're online you're checking social media and Facebook and Instagram but when you when you're paddling every day you, you're looking at Windy and and the Met Office and all these other types of apps and you know Navionics and route planning and and all these sort of things and you know, it, it, I lost track of days quite often. I didn't know what day it was. For me, it was either a windy day or a not a windy day or a paddle day or not a paddle day. You know, I didn't really know what day it was many times. And it was, you know, it, Max Rivers as well. Max, um, who was our skipper on the support boat for a long period, he he had, had um, he'd ran a paddling school out in Greece. So he was an experienced paddler. So he became a good asset, actually, because he, he was on the water with me. So we, we could make a good judgment together. Um, whereas obviously Captain Alex was was weather routing remotely, so you know Max became a, a really valuable asset on the boat and a, and a great friend as well. But it was one of the things as well, though you learn you learn to sort of well you're living by that if you don't paddle you're not making progress. So as, as you would have seen from the, the the amazing pictures that Alfie took at sea on the support boat, we were out in conditions that you would never go out and paddle in really in normal circumstances if you were just going out for a few hours for the day. You know, but we we needed to make progress, and obviously, I had the I had the support net of of the of the of the support boat, if you like, if anything went wrong. So, you know, my risk tolerance increased um, as as the support boat was there. Whereas when I was on my own at sea for the first uh, sort of six weeks, obviously, I wouldn't take probably as many risks, if you like. Mm, that's the right thing to do, obviously. And as you said, safety is the thing. So, just in terms of safety, what sort of kit did you bring with you on the board? Uh, presumably you had a VHF radio to chat to boats and, and so on. Uh, what other kit did you bring with you? 
Yeah, so obviously on the on the board itself, I you know with me, I had uh, obviously all the usuals, what you'd expect. Hopefully, like um, I had my PFD um, from NRS. I had uh, my my leash. I, I used a, a waist belt leash, quick release. I found that a lot more efficient and a lot safer, in my personal opinion. Um, mm-hmm. I had my VHF radio, which was always on channel sixteen, and, and often I would speak to vessels, fishermen, ships. Um, and, and people respect that as well. You know, when you're out there and you can communicate with the RNLI or certainly when you're going across um, estuaries or, or, or into harbours or ports, you know, certainly there was times like I remember at Dover, uh, you know, a very busy shipping lane with cargo ships and car carriers and ferries coming in every, every 10, 15 minutes. I had to speak to the port control and then ask for their permission to cross the, the shipping lane. And, and I had to wait for 40 minutes for permission because it was too dangerous. So really really important um as i had an iridium tracker i had a, a a garmin sort of backup tracker i had the paddle logger app on my iphone i had um i had i had, I had mini flares um yeah. i had a personal locator beacon so you know i was carrying a lot a lot of safety equipment and fortunately i never had to use much of it but you know you you, you don't want to be in a position where you haven't got it if you need it as, as you know yeah absolutely and well, we're talking about the board and the setup and so on. What did you do for food during the day? Couldn't have been Mars bars the whole way around. <laughs> um, so when I was on my on my own without the support boat, you know, I would pack my um, – I had a deck bag from Red Paddle and I would pack my bag with, you know, like J- James would send me on my way with my packed lunch, if you like, and um, we would – you know, we had uh, – I had um, dehydrated meals. Um, I had protein shakes. I had bars, lots of nutritional supplements. It was it was just snacking and keep refueling energy, plenty of water. Um, and then, obviously, as we got onto the support boat, it was – I was very fortunate because I had uh, great crew members who could, you know, chuck me a bowl of pasta or porridge or whatever it was, some slow-release sort of carbohydrates and things. So you mentioned about the support boat. So obviously the, the model kind of changed as, as you went through. So it was less about um, shore-based refreshments and sleep and so on. I think you had a change of support boats, didn't you, about midway? Well, we had, well, we had a support boat from the start, but unfortunately it broke down after three days. We had an engine um, failure. But So then I, I paddled for the next 60 days alone. And then when we got to... Um, north devon crossing the um the, the the bristol channel via lundy island that's when we got the support boat which was yeah. kindly supplied by my friends at the uh, the royal logistics corps in the british army and and that took us all the way to up towards uh, you know thurso john o'groats area then so you were sleeping on board were you overnight on that Literally, yeah we we slept on board overnight and you know i i, I loved i love the paddle boarding but i didn't enjoy the the sleeping on the boat it was because of the COVID, there were lots of harbours and marinas we couldn't go in, so quite a lot we a lot of time we spent at anchor. Um, so there was a lot of rocking about um, throughout, especially as we got into Scotland, and, and there was no obviously no heater on board this yacht either. So it, you know it was um, it was pretty cold sometimes. You must have had terrible sea legs when you finally got on shore. Yeah, it was it, <laughs> it was it was a bit wobbly, that's for sure, but. Um, you know, the same for everybody though. Because of the COVID, we 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 couldn't really do much ashore, so it was just mm. part and parcel. And you know, I, I, we were never complaining about the COVID issues because we also appreciated that we were one of the few people in the in the world that was still out having some fun and having an adventure. So, you know, there was no there was no negativity surrounding the COVID issue. We respected that it was, you know, we had to play by the rules, and and we were lucky to be still going. So you continued your journey. You'd gone across the east coast of Ireland 
and uh, major crossing across to Scotland, so Tobermore and so on. That that coast is absolutely spectacular, isn't it? But this is when the weather was, uh, I, I guess, very unforgiving in the middle of the summer on that at West Coast. I think they talk about having four seasons in one day, but there's some spectacular sights, particularly around Sky. So you paddled under the, the Sky Bridge, didn't you? Yeah, as you say, absolutely majestic scenery, uh, the wildlife, nature, the landscape is just amazing. You know, I, I think I described it as being beautifully brutal. Um, it is, as you say, unforgiving as well. So for me, probably the my favourite part, um, you know, because he, it's just so spectacular. Just every day paddling, it's, it's like paddling through a postcard or something. It's just amazing. Mm. Um, but but the sea and the conditions are, are are absolutely unforgiving, relentless. But paddle, yeah, we paddled under the Sky Bridge, the only bridge that we came across, and um, that we paddled under. Sorry, and and then up, as you say, up the Tobermory Channel, um, and then uh, yeah, just just beautiful. You know, I recommend anyone anyone who's an adventure paddler, you've got to go in your lifetime and go up there. You know, and and the uh, the, the Summer Isles as well, um, absolutely beautiful, and then. You know, all the way up that coast, up towards Cape Wrath, although it's brutal, and I'm I'm sure at, at the right time of year, though, I'm sure it's, it's it's beautiful as well. There's there's an incredible beach actually just before Cape Wrath, and I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head, but it's one of the most beautiful beaches in the world, and it's so beautiful because nobody can really get to it. I I think it's like six miles to the nearest road or something, but it's literally just just a couple of of kilometers short of Cape Wrath. This beautiful white beach, uh, really unbelievable. So how is your physical condition at, at that point? Because I noticed you sort of getting skinnier and skinnier as you went on, obviously not surprisingly, bearing in mind the amount of effort that you, you're putting on there. That must have been difficult in terms of managing the cold as well. Yeah, do you know, it, it's, a, it's a strange one because as we got further north and as the expedition paddled, that the battle didn't really become physical. Of course, the challenge with the waves and things was 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 brutal, but the windows became less and less to paddle, you know. So if we take the first four weeks of paddling, we were paddling 16, 17 hours a day on the South Coast. And and that became, you know, I remember I was getting like claw hand where I couldn't bend my fingers and open them because I'd been paddling for 17 hours holding the paddle and things. Whereas when we got into Scotland and places, you might only be able to paddle for two hours and then you might be off for, for three days waiting for another window. So it was for me, it was a paddle of two halves in many respects. The first half was physical, but the second half, which was for me much tougher, was the psychological battle of, of just never knowing when you're going to be able to move again and and not knowing what you was going to get from one day to the next with the weather. And and for me, the mental battle is what it became in the end, and that was much harder than the physical. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the worst things about a psychological battle like that is the the uncertainty. Did the psychologist help you manage that? You mentioned about reframing earlier on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, really important. Um, you know, lots of tools in my sort of mental toolbox, if you like, that Paula was giving me every day. And, you know, sport. people often talk about sports psychology, but, but adventure psychology is very different because in a sports environment, you know, the conditions are fixed. It's normally quite safe. It's normally for a set period of time, which is quite short. You know, if you think of a football match or a sprint or, or whatever it might be, whereas Whereas an adventure psychology is very different because it's it's enduring, you know, that it's not a safe environment. You don't know when the end is, you know, that the conditions are changing all the time from one day to the next. And there's a lot of uncertainty and that that, that becomes very difficult to manage. But also 
as much as it becomes difficult to manage, it also creates a, a really high level of resilience, um, you know, after you've completed it. So it, it, lots of challenges, but, you know, the, the, the ability to reframe and, and look at things differently became really important as we got further north in Scotland. Um, and instead of worrying about the weather, you know, I started to focus on letting my body recover or doing some, uh, we were doing, by, by Scotland, you know, on the, on the north coast of Scotland, we had, I think we probably paddled three times in, in 14, 15, 16 days. Uh, we were we were doing kids' assemblies via Zoom and all sorts at the end. <laughs> wow, that's, that's incredible. And just talk a little bit about Blue Mind because you came across quite a lot of you know wildlife, lots of contact with nature and so on. And I know you've been very open about mental health and uh, you know that you've really felt that that exposure to the water really helped you i guess seeing lots of dolphins and, and seals cheers one you know people up regardless but just talk a little bit about blue mind and um, how that affected you as you paddled around yeah as you say i've i've I, I you know i speak quite openly um about mental health i think it's really important to do that especially in in this day and age and i've like a lot of people out there i've had my own challenges with with you know i was diagnosed with severe depression and chronic anxiety about four and a half five years ago now and um you know like everybody you find life challenging sometimes the world gets a bit too much and i i've been on medication and have been on medication for all the way up to the paddle for about four years on on sertraline um 200 milligrams of sertraline and i i'd come down over the sort of the year before the paddle to about 100 grams and then when I was on the support boat, the first support boat, I actually left all my medication on it. So, so three days into the paddle, I'd, I'd left my medication on the support boat and didn't have any more on me, and I, and I felt quite all right. So I went for a week or so, and you know, and I, I just thought, Do you know what, I'm, I'm going to keep paddling because I'm at sea. I'm, I'm as you say, I'm experiencing the, the blue therapy, the blue mind. I'm out engaging with nature, and I, I decided to to stop my medication, which which I learned actually was was quite dangerous, but it, at the time it felt right and. Do you know, for for the time that I paddled for the whole 149 days, I, I never felt better with my mental health, if I'm completely honest. And I think, as you say, when, you know, if you're paddling with dolphins every day, if that doesn't make you happy and smile, you know, <laughs> there's something wrong. And that the, the engagement with nature and the great outdoors was was ultimately probably one of the, the best highlights of it all. Uh, and I think that not just for me, but for the, for the crew, for the support crew on board the boat, you know, just being outside every day. As much as it's cold, as much as it's not that nice, it was brilliant for your mental health and, and for building resilience. And but but when, when I came back from the expedition, obviously being cut short um, just before Christmas Eve, and then and then sort of going into a level four lockdown and and living alone and all that sort of stuff, I I, I went to a you know to be very honest, not I haven't spoken much about it since, but I went to an incredibly low place. I found life very very difficult. Um, and since I've ended up in therapy and I'm back on medication to be completely transparent and honest. And, um, you know, so if uh, uh, the, 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 the blue mind, the blue therapy stuff is absolutely fact of life. It works. It definitely works. But I think for me, I, I probably didn't go around it the right way by just completely coming off my medication and, and going straight in there. You know, I, sh I should have done it a bit more in a controlled and perhaps I was a bit silly and naive in that respect, but it, it's a weird time at the moment as well as you know with all this covid and lockdown and we're, the whole world is is in a very crazy unique place and everyone's struggling with mental health and one of the things i've been doing is you know i've i've never really enjoyed walking i've always been a runner or something it's got to be always be quite adrenaline based but at the moment i've 
for the last month, I've just been going on walks for 60 minutes a day and actually really enjoying just slowing down and, and processing what's going on in my life. And I think it's something, you know, we should all try and do because, you know, we're all at a hundred mile an hour in this day and age. And, and I think now is a good time just to get outside and slow down. And, you know, whether it's taking the dog for a walk or walking with your family or your partner, it's it's really important to, to, to be in the moment as well, especially in this social media sort of world we live in now. You know, we're all sort of constantly scrolling through pages or looking at screens, but it's it's important just to switch off and 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 be mindful. You know, I, I've started. Um, I do a lot, of, not a lot, but I do daily meditation now as well. Every every morning when I wake up, I use the Headspace app, and and that's something that's helped me a lot. So, yeah, it, it's really important. You know, you've got to look after your your, your mental health. It's 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 so important. It really, really is, and I can't I can't stress that enough because. Um, and, and also pe- look out for people as well. You know, I've been very lucky to have people reach out to me and look out, look out for me. And I, I try and do the same for those who might be struggling. You know, it's it's important that you check in with family and friends and, and try and have a sense of gratitude as well in these tough times. Again, going back to that reframing, you know, although we can't go out and we can't travel or, or whatever at the moment, you know, we, we still can, you know, we, we can look out for each other. We can if we've got three meals a day, if we've got roof over our head, if we're seeing our family, you know, we're still very fortunate in the world. Um, so it's important to, to have a sense of gratitude, I think. Absolutely. And it's setting up those habits and making sure that you just reinforce them and realise, you know, in comparison to those um, children in Djibouti, we're basically really quite lucky in comparison. Um, I mean, one of the interesting things you mentioned about social media, there is that curated life and it's really important to not assume that the the sorts of lives that people are representing on social media is actually close to how they are you know everyone's got their own stuff which they're managing and everyone's got their own doubts so I think what what you've done which is talk so transparently about mental health means that no one's a superman everyone has those dips and it's really important to to talk about it and share it and also to realize that people do have things going on underneath the surface which they don't necessarily talk about no i I couldn't agree more i think that you know social media as much as it does some great things especially where you know sort of fundraising and awareness for important issues is is concerned it it also you know there's, there's a there's a dark side to that as well and um, as 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 you highlight there, it's not always the case of how people's lives look. It's it's. I often think it's like a showreel of all your best bits. It's 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 not the reality, and and it, and it's quite dangerous because if especially for the next generation and young people, because we, you know we live in a world now where you know, I, I see young people every day, and the, you know the the amount of filters that have to go on a photograph these days. The you know the p- people are sort of almost ashamed to post a picture of themselves that hasn't been filtered five times before it gets on there, and you know the, the negativity sometimes the trolling the bullying there's there's a lot of downsides to social media you know and, and and it can get to people you know it can get to anyone it doesn't matter who you are um, and we've seen that you know there's been lots of of, of mental health challenges and and, and tragic tragedies as well in you know mm. high profile people um because of things that have happened online so just just be kind to one another you know think about what you the things that you say and the things that you post just think you know would would you say that to that person if they were sat next to you, you know, in, 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 the, in the cafe or whatever, you know, because a lot of the things that people say, they would never dream of saying to someone's face. And I, I think it's just about being kind and mindful about what you post because, you know, people have feelings and, 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 you know, the, the, the human and, you know, it, when people aren't feeling good, you know, bad things can happen sometimes. So, you know, it's, there's also a lot of, you know, it, it's a bit of a, I guess a bit of a gripe of mine that there's a lot of, 
very famous, uninspiring people out there. And, you know, we live in this celebrity culture world now where, where, you know, your, your, your credibility is almost based on how many followers people you have and things like this. And it's, 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 it's very sad and very shallow. And, you know, you, you get these people who go on these sort of reality shows and, and they're catapulted to fame overnight. And then they've got millions of followers and they're pushing out messages and posting pictures of, and, and, and people are following them. The next generation are influenced by them. You know, some of these, some of these reality stars have have more influence than than mainstream politicians and, and and leaders and business leaders, which is quite scary. And I just think that there should be accountability. If you're going to have a public profile, you know, you need to be doing good with that. It, it should be the right messages, the the the, the right sort of points, and, and and you should be a role model. You know, I, I, I personally, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a saint by any means, but I. I, I like to think that I try and use social media for a force of good to try and hopefully educate, inspire, or, or motivate, or, or, or do some good. And uh, you know, whether it's fundraising or whatever, I try to to extract negativity out of my life very quickly um, and and avoid you know debating with people and things because it's you know you're often banging your head against a brick wall trying to debate with people on social media. Another great campaigner for mental health is Charlie Head. And I know you met him, I think you were passing in opposite directions as you were heading up over the uh, north coast of Scotland. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, Charlie Charlie uh, was obviously doing his, his Scotland circumnavigation and we, we stayed in communication sort of throughout throughout the Scottish leg that I was on. And um, and we we crossed paths literally just uh, probably 10, 15 kilometres short of Cape Wrath and myself and Charlie got together. And as you say, a great advocate for for, for mental health and, and and sort of that blue therapy. Uh, a lovely guy, you know, a really interesting guy. Um, and, and I really enjoyed spending, you know, an hour or so with him before we both went on our way. But um, incredibly, a huge amount of respect for him doing that, you know, on his own as well. Self-supported was was really I, I take my hat off because the conditions up there where where we where we met were absolutely brutal and going around Cape Wrath with a support boat is dangerous enough never mind going around on your own um so absolute massive respect to Charlie uh, lovely guy and and wish him the best of success with his expeditions and an incredible paddler as well very experienced paddler you know he put me to shame certainly well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, and again, coming back to the curated life, people see the success and the achievements, but they don't necessarily see all the perspiration that goes into actually getting there. I mean, Charlie's incredible. He's paddled um, stretches of the Amazon. I don't know whether you saw the the, the footage of that on uh, Red Bull TV, but my God, what an absolute uh, epic trip that was and he's just an incredible character and you know like you very very inspirational and I think this whole thing about talking about mental health 10 15 20 years ago no one talked about it at all and and now people do which is so so important because otherwise it's just locked away people think they're suffering from it on their own and that's when bad things happen no absolutely uh, yeah as you say Charlie absolute legend of what he's doing and, and the awareness he's raising around mental health and and especially you know that, that blue therapy I, I can't you know a huge respect to him so same there's and there's lots of inspirational paddlers out there that I came across Cal Manger on the blue mind thing as well she's doing uh, amazing work very passionate about the ocean um you know Fiona Quinn Sarah Thornley there's there's so many you know there were so many inspiring people I met who were using paddling for a force of good in the world spreading positive important uh, messages uh, that, that that you know and, and about causes and and things that need to be raised so uh, if 
it's, it, the, the, the sub community is booming with, with inspiring people. Uh, and I was very lucky to meet some of them. Absolutely. And, and largely female. You're absolutely right. I don't know whether you remember me saying this to you on the beach, but I thanked you for holding the end up for male paddlers because Fiona Quinn, Cal Major, absolute legends. I'm, I'm interviewing Fiona in a few weeks' time. Cal Major, we've had on international paddlers, Maddie LeBlanc from Canada, Fiona Wild, and Samantha Rutt, Marie Buchanan, you've mentioned already, Sarah Thornley. I mean, we are absolutely awash with inspirational female paddlers. And thanks for uh, for making the case for male paddlers there, mate. I really appreciate it. Yeah, pleasure. But as you say, you know, incredible female paddlers out there. I, I learned a lot on the South Coast from paddling with, you know, people like Sarah, uh, Marie, Ginny. They taught me so much, um, you know, in such short periods of time. So very honoured to paddle with with legends of the sport like those. Just a couple of things I wanted to cover off with you. So obviously we've got the the culmination and the finish. I mean, that must have been quite a blow to take when you realised that you couldn't progress any further. Yeah, you know, it was, it, it was, you know, I won't, I won't sort of lie about it. It was, it was a brutal blow, you know, to have paddled for 149 days plus and and you know two, three, seven, seven kilometres. And then to be in touching distance, you know, we can almost see John O'Groats and we know we've just got to do the home straight and we're back into Essex was was really tough. But, you know, we we have to remember our why. And that was one of the big things, you know, for us, we never forgot from the start of why we were doing this. And it was to inspire hope through education to those children uh, on the Horn of Africa and to inspire young people in the UK through the spirit of adventure. And and that was how I will measure success of that expedition. Um and, and for me, we achieved that. You know, we raised nearly a hundred thousand um, pound. We we build a new school for children, and for me, it's always about why we we did it, not what we did. Um, we, we were just very fortunate to have an incredible paddling adventure, but most importantly, we were able to inspire hope for children. So, as, as much as it was a tough blow, and it was very difficult uh, to accept, and 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 he's disappointing because of, of of you know from the public and the the media side. Um, Ultimately, what we did was achieve something far bigger than a world record or a world first. We 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 were able to give the gift of education to 250 children and many more for years to come. And you can't put a price on that for me. Yeah, absolutely. And what an incredible adventure you had. And just to say again, followed it with a combination of my jaw dropping or holding my breath the whole way around. And I know that other people were very similar. I've recently interviewed a, a chap from Torbay called uh, Brendan Prince, who is going to attempt to circumnavigate Great Britain this year. He's starting in April. I know you've had a chat with him. What sort of advice can you offer him in terms of his circumnavigation? Yeah, I, I was um, contacted um, by um, Brendan um, recently and we had a we had a good chat together and you know I try and share as many insights as I could with him and any lessons that I learned but yeah, get huge respect to anyone who's who's going to step up and have a, have a have a go at that and he's he's certainly got a lot more experience uh, and knows perhaps you know the the, the the some areas of the coast than more than I did so I think he'll be a lot better prepared he's obviously going at a more sensible time of year than than I went and um you know, I, I I think it's the same advice that I was given. It's it's about taking one day at a time and 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 staying in the game. You know, when things get tough, just keep persevering. It doesn't matter how long it takes. If you hang in there every day and you you, you just keep chipping away, um, you will get there in the end. And you know, I I believe that we would have got there, but unfortunately, the law and legislation wasn't allowing us. But 
there'll be many times when you want to give up. There'll be many times when you want to quit. But it, it's important just to keep staying in the game day by day. Keep chipping away and you'll get there in the end. It's it's about perseverance. It's about discipline. It's about getting up and going out there and putting that neoprene or wetsuit on when you don't want to. When it's cold at three o'clock in the morning and it's not nice and it's uncomfortable. It's about having the discipline to still do it even when you're not motivated. But, you know, he's, he's, he's doing it for a great cause. Um, and I've said to him, I've offered my my complete full support. So has everyone at the Great British Paddle. And he, he's got my phone number, my email, and I'm on the end. If I can help with any contacts, uh, sponsorship or advice, he's, he's, I'm, I'm there for him. And I, I wish him the best of luck. And I, I genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, uh, hope that he, he makes it and becomes the first person to do it. I, I sincerely mean that. So what's next for you? The school is being built. Are you going to go out and supervise? Yeah, school is nearly built. It's been being built for two years and, and that's why I've had to keep doing different adventures. But as soon as um, international travel is allowed, I'll be out on the Horn of Africa and and hope to be able to you know get the video footage. I think Alfie or James is going to come out with me. So we'll we'll capture that that leg, that final leg, if you like, of the, the Great British Paddle uh, with a school built and and then for me, yeah, it's at the moment I'm 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 trying to do lots of talks and things for school children in assemblies and and Zoom calls and cadets and 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 waiting for like everyone else lockdown to to be lifted and the world to start turning again. But I'm I was scheduled to be at the North Pole in April, but that's just been cancelled because of the the restrictions. But I've still got an expedition uh, to Antarctica in December, so fingers crossed for that one. But. Yeah, we, we, we just got to try and stay positive and keep chipping away and, and, you know, as I say, look after each other in these challenging times. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, as I knew it would. Thanks so much for all the hard work you're doing and the fundraising. And I know I speak for the SUP community to say that you've been an absolute credit to it. I hope you carry on paddleboarding. No, definitely. And uh, absolutely, probably... Uh, when it's a bit warmer and the and the waters are a bit calmer, I probably won't be heading to the the west coast of Scotland in winter anytime soon for a paddle. But um, absolute pleasure to be on on this episode on the show, Simon. I think you and the team do an amazing job of of, of providing good news stories in the world, which is really important. Um, and it's it's a great platform. And um, you know, if I can ever help with anything at all, you know, I'm I'm only at the end of the phone. Don't hesitate to ask. Fantastic. And of course, the traditional question at the end of a podcast is where can we find out more about you yeah you can follow me um on on social media or my handle across all platforms is at mr jordan wiley uh, or my website is jordanwiley.org um but you know yeah please feel free to engage and as i say if i can help anybody who's going on an adventure a sup adventure in particular uh, always reach out and, and i'll always try and come back to you but um you know most importantly enjoy it make sure it's safe and if you can have a positive impact on the world, you know, please do. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Jordan. And uh, hopefully see you on the water, maybe the Basingstoke Canal soon. Absolutely. Take care, mate. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening all the way through. In a lot of these recordings, I sometimes forget I'm supposed to be interviewing and get caught up in the stories, and this happened several times in this episode. We work really hard to bring in these episodes, and the fact that you've listened to the end is the validation and the motivation we need to keep producing this podcast and to continue celebrating Stand Up Paddle in all of its forms. But we do want more paddlers to know about us, so we'd really appreciate anything you can do to spread the word. So from a social media like or a review 
or just sharing an episode with a Facebook group. It all helps to get more people engaged with this fantastic sport that we share. So thank you again for listening and see you on the water. Thank you for listening to SUP FM, the number one podcast for stand-up paddlers wherever you are. If you like what you've heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. Until then, we'll see you on the water.